Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, September 19th, 2021 called, I Make All Things New, Conformed or Transformed, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Um, And this, we're in the middle of a series here on talking about our theme for the year. Behold, I make all things new. That's from Revelation chapter 21. And we thought it was just so appropriate in this kind of season that we're in over the last 20 months uh, to see what new things God will do. And so we've been working through these. And this one is about having a new mind. A, a renewed mind that Paul talks about. So what does that mean and, and how does it play itself out and bless us in our walk with Christ? What's interesting here in this portion of Romans, Romans is arguably, other than the words of Christ and maybe some of the most significant portions of Isaiah or so forth, what you would call a, just a seminal, critical, foundational piece of what we believe about God and our Savior Jesus Christ, our condition, and God's, the sufficiency of God's grace. Romans is huge. It is just a huge work. And in many ways, it's divided into two chunks. And the first chunk is this is our condition, and this is God's grace in Christ. And he, re- he repeats it from a number of perspectives. But then Paul uses an interesting Greek construction that is now says this is now a major shift. Therefore, therefore, I urge you. And so it's a whole nother portion that now takes place. And that's where you kind of pay attention as followers of Christ. Okay, I get, I'm broken. I get that God has healed me in Christ just out of unmerited favor and love. How do I live now? What, what does that look like? And so this is a portion that's, that really describes that. What does it mean to have, have a new mind? I wanted to kind of illustrate it because what he says is, therefore, in view of God's mercy. So everything that follows is, because God has been so gracious, here's what follows. And it's critical that we get that right. So when I, my brother used to be the principal here in the 70s. I'm really going to date myself. So in 73 and seven, 1973 and 74, he was the principal here. Uh, at Grace. And I was in high school. So I was in between my sophomore and junior years. And my brother took a call. He, he took a position in Portland. So he went to our, one of our Lutheran University in Portland. And so he was leaving here and our family came out to help him move. So he was moving in June and he was moving to Portland in June. And I thought, this will be neat. I've never been to Portland in my life or Seattle, any of those places in the Pacific Northwest. And so I'm a kid. You know, I'm in, I'm in high school. We come out. And if you don't know this, summer doesn't start in Portland until after the 4th of July. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times, because we lived on the west side of the mountains for 30 years. I'm getting to that. But we lived over there. And I can't tell you how many times I was in rain gear and... You could have had a horrible time lighting your fireworks because it was just so wet and it was just terrible. Um, and, but after the 4th of July, you, you pretty well got summer. But in June, June, June can be terrible. And so here I am, my brother's moving, and I'm going, why is he living here? 
It was dreary, it was gray, it was just depressing, it was soggy, there was mold. I mean, it's June. It's supposed to be great in June. And you do get some good days there, but boy, I tell you, that June was terrible. And so I resolved, I didn't want anything to do with this, and I signed up to go to the University of Idaho in Moscow to be a forester. I was going to be a forester, that was my goal. And I was accepted there. Well, the next summer, my brother invites us to come out for, and, and, and I was part of going to a seminar on the campus at Concordia, and that was in August. And there are eight weeks in which Portland and Seattle are the finest places in the world to live. Uh, well, to live. The weather's great. Let's say that. It's really phenomenal. I mean, August and September are just explodes your mind at how glorious it is and no humidity, no bugs, the temperature's right. It's just fabulous, and you go, to the, you, you go out to the ocean, and you go hiking up at Mount Hood or Mount Rainier, and it's just phenomenal, all the things that you can do indoors and out. And it was fascinating to me because I had resolved never to live there again. It was so depressing based on my experience of the previous year. But in a new light, it changed everything. And that's kind of what Paul is saying. Those of you that have been saved by grace... That should be, give you a whole new light on how you live. And so please understand, this stands on a foundation of because you have been saved by God's grace and love. Therefore, right? So this is now how we live. Not worried about, have I scored enough points with God? Uh, is God keeping track of how good or bad I am? But because God has already been so gracious, so kind, so loving... Here's how we live. And, and parents, doesn't this resonate with you? Isn't this what you're hoping your kids will do? Because you have been so loved, we long for you to live this way, right? And I'm a far, you know, far, far from perfect parent by any means, but isn't that kind of our goal? Don't you think that's God's goal with us? Because you have been so wonderfully loved. So what I want to do, he says, offer, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, and then uses this interesting phrase, do not be conformed, by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this is the crux of this message. Because if I was going to ask you to do some self-examination, to say, to what degree would you say, let's just take the events of the last year and a half, 20 months, now it's more than that. How have we allowed the events of the last 20 months to shape us? It's worth thinking about. Have we allowed those things... The, the information we get or the misinformation or the debate or the angriness or the division or, you know, all of that different reporting, how much have we allowed that to shape us, to conform us? Chris and I were thinking, could we use an illustration like, I don't know, a jello mold, you know, and you pour the jello in there and it's shaped by the mold or a bunt cake, you know, you pour the batter in and it's shaped by that, by that thing. Is that our model? Have we been shaped by that? And so, because here's the difference. As I look up the word and as I look through it in scripture, being conformed is passive. Being conformed is outward. Our outward appearance is shaped. Our outward behaviors are shaped. It doesn't necessarily shape your heart. But it shapes us outwardly, it shapes us passively, and it's something that's done to us. 
But in scripture, what Paul is talking about, about being transformed with a new mind, with a renewed mind, that's not passive. It's not passive. It's actually active and engaged. It's being done for us. And in fact, it's Christ holding his hand saying, join with me. Like he says to the disciples, come, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Come, you will see things you have never seen. Come with me. Christ acting for us, but then inviting us with, to, to join with him. Chris shared with me a book. He's, he's more familiar with Greg Finke than I am. I've just heard him once. But I know he has, he's had some significant books. He's, a past, he's in our denomination. But he wrote, and let me get it right, Joining Jesus on His Journey. I think that's what it is. But the title of the book is Joining Jesus on His Journey. Kind of a neat Neat book. It's not that we have to seek out Jesus. It's as if Jesus is saying, would you, would you walk with me? Come with me. And so we join Jesus on his journey. This is the transformation, the transforming word. So the conforming one is passive. It's done to us. This one is done for us. We're engaged. We walk with Christ. So that's what Paul is talking about here. In our new mind, we want to be transforming. And I'll get to it, why that's significant. Uh, let's look at this. So in, in this text, then what are the new things? So here's what he says. Point number one, there's a new um, sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. When he says brothers, please know that's generic. He means the body, men and women both. He means all of that. I, I urge you, you know, fellow believers, um, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Well, this is a new way of looking at sacrifice, right? What did you do with sacrifices usually? You killed them, right? I mean, they were sacrifices. It could be a cow or a sheep or a dove or it would be something, that, or you could do a grain offering or you could do something like that. But they were dead. You killed them. And this is so transformational because Paul, who had been so devout in Judaism, he knew all about sacrifices and making the right sacrifice at the right moment in the right season, doing it the right way. And so what Paul is saying is, wait, 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 this is a whole new thing. We don't kill these sacrifices. They're living sacrifices. And so what's interesting about this is, one of the things that was fascinating, in the Old Testament, they talked about the life of the animal is in the blood. The life of the animal is in the blood. How fascinating is that, how that points to Christ, doesn't it? The life of the sacrifice is in the blood. It was the blood of Christ that brought us near. We talked about this last week from Ephesians. It was the blood of Christ that showed us that we were family, beloved by God, that he would be willing to pour that out. And it is true. The life of that sacrifice, Jesus Christ, is in the blood. But he conquered death. He overcame death. And in so doing, gives us, gives us the privilege of also being alive, living sacrifices. Those who give on behalf of others because we have been made alive. This is a brand new thing. It's not a one-time moment that you do and then it's over, but it is day by day, breath by breath. It's a sacrifice that lives. That's our Savior. And he's inviting us to that too. Second thing, so that's a new thing, a new sacrifice, it's a new way to make sacrifice. Second thing is this, I'll tell you this, if you want to mess with people in the church, you mess with their worship service. Some of you are probably old enough to remember the day when drums entered into the sanctuary of a Lutheran church, and people left the church, people left. 
Today, sometimes it's reversed. Sometimes people mistakenly wander into our more traditional service and say, oh, that organ is weird sounding and the, do- and the pastors are wearing dresses. What are they doing? And so they're offended by that and they won't come back. So it's really interesting. If people have in their mind, this is the way worship should be. Worship needs to be this way. And if it's not this way, then, it's, then, then I want nothing to do with it. That's an interesting kind of thing because Paul is going to tweak that a little bit. Because he's going to say, this is a new way to worship. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now think about that. For Jewish people in particular, and to be honest, Christians have been guilty of this too. It's like, okay, if I put in an hour a week, I can check that box off, right? I got that church thing done. I don't have to do anything more, right? That's good. I'm golden, right? So I fulfilled my obligation, check. And Paul is going, wait, wait, that's an old way of looking at worship, where you gathered at a certain time in a certain place and did something in a certain way, and that was your worship. He's saying, no, it's far more than that. Because you are a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, you are a living sacrifice, every breath we take is an act of worship. Every breath we take. And so, and, and this rocks people's world because for many, many people, it's like, well, I have this religious obligation duty part and I'll fulfill that part and I'm good. The rest of my time is my own. And you're not. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. You're bought with a price you paid for. Jesus purchased us and won us. And so now why is that good? Because some of you may be sitting there saying, oh, great, that sounds depressing. Now I got to go to church all the time. You know, um, I, thought, I thought if, you know, if I check this box off once or twice a month, I'm golden. And that's not the deal. Every breath we take. Now, why is this great news? This is really good news. Is there a time in your life when you don't need God? No. So we're always in need, aren't we? Is there a time in your life where God is not acting on your behalf? The answer again is no. Of course he is. And therefore, isn't that what happens in worship? Let me give you a quick, quick, quick. Our theology of worship, God is already in this place. We don't have to make him get here. We don't have to ask him to show up. He's already here. We come into his presence because he's invited us to be here because he is longing to pour out his gifts to you. And so in this place, you can be sure that in the preaching of the word and the celebration of the Lord's Supper and remembering our baptism, God is meeting you here with his gifts. It's a good thing, right? In fact, we kind of think that spiritually that's why you are compelled to come periodically, right? So that you can be blessed by those gifts and then give thanks to God for them. That's our theology of worship. God meets us with his gifts and then we can respond with thanksgiving. Doesn't that sound like a decent formula for every moment of every day? Where God meets us with his gifts and we live a life of gratitude and thanksgiving. Think how the world would change. Think how we would change. And so what Paul is saying is, that's a new thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you've got to crawl around on your knees praying and chanting and doing weirdnesses. What I'm saying is, every breath we take should remind us that God's spirit, God's promise, God's presence is constantly with us. God is constantly meeting us with his gifts. And we have the privilege to respond with thanksgiving and praise. Every moment of our life. Because there's never a time when we don't need him. And there's always a time when he is giving us gifts. Third thing is this. And this is what I struggled with the word on it. 
You know, as I say, as I, as I kind of mentioned this, I have, um, it seems to me that the last 20 months have had so many circumstances that have actually kind of shaped us. And so as we deal with a pandemic, and we haven't done it before, we're not sure how to do it, and then you're not sure exactly who's telling you the truth, and how come this changed, and then this has changed, and so people's trust is eroded, people are uncertain what to do, and again, I'm going to tell you as a congregation, I've been so proud of you all for treating each other with grace and patience, and God has honored that in our midst. I'm grateful for that. We're not perfect, but I'm grateful, and I just want to encourage you because it's going to be, we're still going, right? We're still going. So for grace and kindness and so forth is, is just so critical for us. But here's the difference. Look at what Paul says here. This is what I will call a new influence or a new influencer. How do we, are we influenced or are we influencing? So for instance, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I've told some of you this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was in Portland, and I was with other church leaders, and, the, and I was there for two days. And I, I have to admit, I spoke a little too harshly, but I was so frustrated because I was hearing over and over and over again about how the church just, he, they, was just circling the wagons and just hunker down until this is over, and then we can get back to normal. And my comment to the churches was, I actually said this, and I shouldn't have said it, and I apologize to the group, but I said, I'm embarrassed of us. I'm ashamed of us. When has there been a time when what Christ offers through his church and his grace is more needed? And it's been the last 20 months. And I'm proud of our, of our team and staff and of all of you, because we have worked really, really hard to not stop doing things, but to try to adjust and do them safely, to do them in different ways so that ministry keeps happening. Because there is not a time when God's promise is not more needed. Would you agree with that? We need the gifts and grace of God now more than ever. And so I'm convinced that this is a huge deal. What Paul is saying is, don't just be buffeted and move with the winds. Don't just be pushed around by the things of this world. But we, as those who, have, who know God's grace, we can be influencers. Not because we're chanting or protesting or this or that, but in the reflection of Christ in our lives. As we pray for others, as we're patient with others, as we aren't moved off of our foundation or shifting in sand, but we are confident and certain that what God has promised is true. And what God has done in us and promises to do through us will be faithful and true. So it's a new influence, not that we are being shaped by the movements of this world, but that we, as agents of Christ, are influencing the world itself. That's what it means to have a new mind. That's a new thing that God wants us to do. And then here's the fourth thing. Just as each of us, and I love this, just that he's changing the way we live. A new, it's a new way of living. But the, the phrase is, a new. I put in here, a new dependency. You know, we live in a country in which being independent seems to be the greatest value. I'm independent. I don't have to rely on anybody. I am self-sufficient. That's really incorrect, by the way, and quite unhealthy. Um, the, idea, the, the idea of independence is a foreign concept in Scripture. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing our country. I love the Declaration of Independence and the idea of being able to freely make choices, but we do it in community. We do it as a nation, as a gathering of people of like mind and common heart and goal. And in the church, it's far more that way. Well, look what Paul says. Just as each of us has one body with many members, so in Christ, we who are many form one body. And here's the new thing. Because we understood nations, right? That, that, those have been around forever. Cities, families. Think about this. Here's what Paul does. And each member belongs to all the others. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Do we treat each other as if we belong to each other? That's, I think this is the hardest one. Out of these five things that we talk about being new, having a new mind that we treat each other as if I, I belong to you. And so we respond. We act. Our faith, our love doesn't grow cold, but rather is inspired by what happens to you happens to me. This is a huge challenge. But it's exactly the model of Christ, whose heart lived and breathed and broke for the hurts and love for the sake of others, compelled to act and love and sacrifice. This is the new mind, to not be independent or to silo, but rather to be interdependent, a whole new way of living in which what happens to you happens to me, victories and hurts, joys and challenges. And it leads us to the last thing, a new way to overcome. Let me read something to you. Just imagine with me, if you would, for a minute. I'm often reading leadership books, books on leadership. Grace is a complex place, and it's a large school, and we have a kind of a significant role in the community. It's cool. It's really, really neat. I love it. I'm humbled by it and love the opportunity. So I'm often reading leadership books. How can you lead a group of people? How do you lead a team? How do you overcome the challenges that we face? Let me read to you uh, what, uh, from that book. This is the model and the formula for overcoming and for leading. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone, anyone, evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Now, I don't know many books that would make those the principles of key leadership, of large and complex organizations and of people. But I am telling you, that's the book Jesus wrote because that's exactly the formula that Paul is writing on how Christ overcame the world. To not repay evil with evil or to, re or to find revenge, but rather gave up everything and made himself nothing. In this age, when everybody is trying to secure power to themselves and protect what they want and what they feel that they need, to release, knowing that God has given us all things in Christ, knowing that in the cross we see the greatest power that anyone has ever exerted to overcome the challenges of this life. This is the formula. It was Christ's formula. He was victorious. He overcame. Death is defeated. We are his children, and you are loved. May we join our Savior in that journey. To God be the glory. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Mm -hmm.